Welcome to the Preacher Chick Podcast. I am the host of this podcast. I am the Preacher Chick. I'm Stacy, And today's episode is um, pulling from uh, a sermon I preached a couple weeks ago at church that um, has just been heavy on my heart since I brought the message. And I wanted to share it on this platform. Um, You're going to hear the sermon introduction in just a moment. But can I challenge you to listen to this with an open heart and with an open mind? There are so many in the church who are really wrestling with their faith. And friends, if we're not careful to surround them and give them space to ask hard questions and have the really hard conversations and to love on them and hold them up when they do, we're going to lose them. And it's so important to me that we, that we do everything we can to keep them. And so I pray that um, as you listen, that you're challenged in that. And as always, if it speaks to you, it would mean so much to me if you would um, share this episode with your friends and family, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, um, send the link in a text message to somebody. But that's like the highest compliment I could get that you share it with somebody that, that you care for. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please be uh, my guest, reach out to me and I'll do what I can. Um, thanks for listening today. Cause unless you're new around here or you don't know me very well, um, I am a lover of music and God speaks to me through music regularly. Um, and so Rarely does there come a time where there's not a song in my head or on my heart, random, sometimes weird, but, you know, that's the way it goes. And before I even started typing out the sermon, as I was just reading through the scriptures this week, two songs came to my mind, and um, what, they're, both, they're both older songs. Some of you are probably going to be shocked that I know them. And others are going to be like, I've never heard the song in my entire life. Um, and, and I really felt like one was a really great way to kind of introduce the message this morning. And another one, the other one was really good for kind of a conclusion. So that's what, that's what we're going to do. But the first song that came to my mind, are you, some of you aren't even ready. I'm not even sure if I can read the lyrics without crying. It just was so heavy to me. Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me had it not been for a hill, for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. I'm so glad He was willing to drink his bitter cup, although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he never called heaven's angels from these hands, pulled the nails that dormant me. And had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. How many of you know that song? How many of you have never heard it before in your life? 
if I told you that Rusty Goodman wrote it and it's on like every Gaither Homecoming video, are you going to go, now, shoot, I do know that song. <laughs> Sometimes having my dad as a dad pays off. I told, I told Terry Thursday night, I said, it's amazing. The music that drove me crazy that my dad played incessantly as a kid is quite often the music that brings me comfort the most. And my dad, Pastor Byron, mentioned this on Wednesday in Forever Young. But we are, we are seeing so many, especially my generation and younger, who are doing what is called deconstructing. They're taking everything that they know as far as faith is concerned, and they walk away from faith and into the world to deconstruct what they've been taught. And that's really, really hard to think about, but it is what's happening. It's heartbreaking to me. I'm very fortunate, and I've said this before, that my parents allowed my brothers and I space to question, to doubt, to wrestle, they never made us feel bad if we came to them and said, why do we believe this? They never made us feel like we were uh, less than if we came to them and said, I don't understand what, what, what this means in the Bible. Why, why does this matter? They gave us space to ask those questions and to walk with us. And I had leaders in my life that I grew up that, that they did the same thing for me. And so it's hard when I see people walking away from the safety or what should be the safety of a place that allows them to wrestle in doubt, that they go into the world to do that. You know, and I think that, that unfortunately, the reason that happens is because there are too many parents that, that don't do like my mom and dad did. Where, or, or even adults in the church where when somebody younger just is like, I just don't get it. Instead of saying, well, let's sit down and talk about it. They say, well, that's just what God says. That's just the way it is because the Bible says so. Now, on the surface, you're not wrong. But that's not what Jesus did. And we need to be willing to sit down. We need to allow space. We need to even, church, normalize that people question. We as a church, capital C Church, have dropped the ball where this is concerned. And this is all a part of what loving God and loving people is all about. It's allowing that opportunity for it to happen, a space where we can love them in a, in a, in a compassionate way. I think this is also part of that issue because people see, read, grow up hearing, well, Jesus says that we're supposed to take care of the poor and the orphan. We're supposed to take care of the widow. We're supposed to be generous. And they don't actually see that played out in the church. We preach these passages over and over again, but we, we're not that great at always living them out. Now, I want to say this. I'm going to pause and do a caveat here. Um, I have a missions committee meeting tomorrow evening, and so I'm going to be sharing this with them. But, y'all, where this is concerned, this church specifically speaking about GC First, we don't do too shabby. Um, it, let, me, let me put it this way. We don't do too shabby as far as being generous with our, with our finances where missions is concerned. Um, we gave between what is reported to AGWM and AGUSM um, uh, in our monthly support of missionaries, BGMC, Speed the Light. This isn't even including what we do in our, in our um, Judea, you know, where we, we support different ministries like Mosaic and community care here in the community. But 
just specifically AGUSM, AGWM. If you have ever been at a, at a national event or a district event and you've given an offering and marked that you want our church to get giving credit for it, this is all in there. Almost $50,000. Friends, look at the size of our church. There are churches way bigger than us that don't do that. And I firmly believe that a church that supports the heart of God, which is evangelism and missions, God supports that church. He sustains us and he takes care of us. So we, we do that, but sometimes, and I'm not specifically speaking about our church now, so let's go back to the capital C church. Sometimes, though, we're too quick to drop money in an offering plate or to give online because it's easier than getting personally, emotionally, mentally invested in it. God didn't call us to do one or the other. His command is that we do it. And that's all of those things. And so sometimes there are people who see that disassociation with that and they associate that with the church and with Jesus instead of just with that person or with that group of people. And what that generation sees is, is it's hypocritical. And they're not wrong. And so they end up leaving the church because these people are messed up, so Jesus is messed up. We have to allow space for people to ask hard questions and not be afraid of saying, you know what, I don't know, but let's sit down and talk about it. Let's get in the word. What does God say? Paul encourages this actually in Philippians 2.12 because he says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say, just take what I say and that's it. He says, you know what I've said. Now you need to work that out with fear and trembling. And that was, to, that was in the Philippians, but he addresses something similar to the church at Corinth. And so that's where we're at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first nine verses. Paul writes, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to warn one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I love how Paul writes to this church that's struggling. They, they believe, but they're struggling. And the first thing he says to them is he uses that phrase, brothers and sisters. He doesn't write to them and says, uh, you know, say something like, hey, knucklehead, listen, you know what you're supposed to believe, so can you, just, can you just get in line? He addresses them and says, brothers and sisters, listen, this is the message you heard from me that you have taken a stand on that is saving you. This is important. 
he, he has to address that there's this half-hearted commitment, that there's this little bit of uh, shallowness, this little bit of one foot in the church and one foot in the world happening at the church at Corinth. But he doesn't make them feel bad about their doubt or disbelief, specifically in the resurrection, because that's what was really happening here. This group of believers, they could accept that Jesus died on the cross. They could accept that he was buried, but resurrection, I don't know about that. But he does it so lovingly, and he does it full of grace. He makes his point while reminding them of what they know, reminding them that they are unified by Christ as brothers and sisters, and that they are being saved because of this amazing gospel message, this good news that they've heard him preach. To try to live off of a past belief, to try to live off of a past experience without any firm adherence, without that, that phrase where he says that you've taken a stand on, that truth would be in vain. It would mean nothing. It's insincere, and it would be insufficient. And so he takes time to remind them of what they had already heard and what they knew. He didn't challenge them. He reminded them. He pointed those things out. What you knew was, is still true today, and it was necessary to fulfill your salvation and the salvation of everybody else because Jesus' death bought it, and his resurrection is the most effective, the only effective and sufficient payment for it. And it's the only way to withstand the pressures of the world around I think that we're a lot like the Corinthian church today. We get so easily caught up in the intellectual information and affirmation of doctrine, but the social price of followers of the followers of Christ, what he did, and it required something. It forced them even to take a strong stand in a very hostile world. And sometimes we today as the church, we just want to prove our point instead of taking a stand on what we know is right and, and what we know is true and let the world around do what it does. You can do to me what you're going to do to me, but I'm not shifting. You may not ever come to believe what I believe, but I know what is true, and I'm not changing. Paul wasn't berating them in arguments over what they were moving away from and moving towards. He lovingly but firmly reminded them what they were walking away from. In his efforts to help these believers who were not fully living in their belief, he emphasized the heart of the gospel, Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Most importantly, his resurrection. The reality is that the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, kind of hinges on the fact that Jesus is no longer in a tomb, but that it is empty because he rose from the dead. That is what makes his payment sufficient for us, his resurrection. If you don't hold to the whole gospel, then there's no salvation. It's the whole kit and caboodle. It's the entirety of the gospel that brings salvation and the only thing that saves us from God's judgment. And when you are saved, you will hold firmly to the word of God and believe it. 
Don't miss it. You can't just hear and believe. You can hear the truth of Jesus and go, oh, I believe that could happen. Do you take a stand on it? Do you allow it to come in and change everything within you and hold to it firmly? I'm going to take a little side road here. Um, and I want us to look at this as a good description of what a believer is. This comes straight from the commentary in the student um, edition of the Fire Bible, and it lists this out. Believers are people who actively obey God's word. I guess this is kind of like, let's do a, a hard, right? Let's do a little self-reflection, self-inventory here, right? Believers are people who actively obey God's word, submit to Christ as Lord and Savior, Submit without reservation to the Bible's authority and hold firmly to its teaching, trust its promises, heed its warnings, and follow its commands. Believers are people who are willing captives of the word. Believers use scripture to test all human ideas and accept nothing contrary to it. Paul's framing of this chapter, these first nine verses, serves as a model for how we can approach churchgoers who may be deeply skeptical about all or a part of the gospel that we teach and then we exhort. Because after all, aren't we all still growing in our faith? I don't care how old you are. Aren't we all still growing in our faith? Another thing that Paul says is according to the scripture. He repeats that several times as the heart of the gospel, according to the scripture. Now, early on in the pandemic, while most of the world was still in some sort of quarantine or lockdown, do you remember if you're on social media? If you're not, you wouldn't have a clue. But um, John Krasinski, the actor, started doing this thing called Some Good News, where he would receive, people would send him like just neat, fun, positive things that are happening around the world. And he would, he would do this little recording on social media and he would post it. I mean, the background was like logos that his kids had colored and taped on the wall of his apartment. And I just thought it was really neat. And he just would tell positive stories, some good news. And this time where everybody's struggling, there are good things happening in the world. Let's talk about some good news. You know, he would highlight that that there were people that were hosting their own, like, proms on Zoom and kids are getting on and dads are dancing with their daughters and moms are dancing with their sons or that, you know, somebody delivered groceries to their elderly neighbor who shouldn't be getting out. Just these kinds of things on some good news. Good news is always welcome, especially in the middle of hard times and, and, and bad seasons, Right? There's no better news than the life-changing message of Jesus, though. And his life-changing message is based on the authority of Scripture, which is why Paul says that we know the word, that according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures, he's saying, in essence, go back and look. These things are supposed to happen. They did happen because of Jesus. According to the Scriptures, because the Old Testament scriptures gave prophetic messages about the Messiah, and Jesus filled many of them already. There's a few that are still left to be fulfilled, but we have no reason to think that if he fulfilled those, why would he not fulfill the ones still to come, right? 
So what is the message of the gospel? What is the message of Jesus? I believe this is the message. Paul said it. Christ died for our sins. Hebrews 7.27 says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. He did this once for all, all time when he offered himself. Christ was buried. John 19, 41 through 42 says there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. He was placed in a tomb. He was buried. And then Mark 16, 6, that Christ rose from the dead. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus were important to Paul, so much so because they changed everything for all humanity, all the way to eternity. How could that be? Well, as Jade and I have a favorite social media person, just, I'd love to tell you. Let me show you. Philippians, or uh, John 1.14, God became flesh. God stepped down from heaven in flesh. He left, he left what was amazing to come down here and be with us. God became flesh. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus is the Son of God and the second in the Trinity. He is fully God and he is fully man. He is divine and he is human. He is the perfect, here's a big word, substitutionary sacrifice. He's the only one who could step in our place for our mistakes and our sin and pay the price for good. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and 1 Peter 2, 24 show us that Jesus suffered our wrath our judgment, and now we can have eternal life. That is the good news. That is the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4 through 12 tells us that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of the Messiah's coming, his sacrifice and resurrection, overcoming death forever. John 19, 33 and Philippians 2, 8. There you see New Testament fulfillment. Friends, the resurrection was so important and is still so important, but it was so important to Paul and what he was reminding the people of, of it because it's the proof of the sufficient sacrifice. I said it throughout Christmas, the birth of Jesus is miraculous and we should celebrate it, but without the resurrection, it's just a really neat birth story. The resurrection is what makes our salvation possible. And I love this. He wasn't just raised. We don't just say, well, Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. No, 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 no. He wasn't just raised. He didn't just walk out of the tomb, throw up a peace sign, and bounce. Jesus revealed himself to the masses. He revealed himself to individuals. Paul takes it seriously. He's been commissioned by this Jesus. He's been commissioned to reach people with the gospel message of Christ. And it's important to him that they receive it and that they turn their lives over to Jesus. Walking as true, committed believers. 
to help them do that at a time that so many were loosely holding to the truth that he preached, picking and choosing the parts that they would believe. He just reminds them that the resurrection is real. And Jesus proved it by appearing to witnesses. And you know what else I love about this? And I'm jumping ahead, but he didn't just like pop into a space and say, I'm here. Like he sat with people. He had conversations. He he ate dinner all to prove I'm really here. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not a ghost. I am alive. I am here. And Paul lists these encounters with names or with massive numbers who saw him at one time. And so many that, so many that, that saw him were still alive. The, church of, the Corinthian church could go and find these people and prove it. And he was one of them. He was the last, and he believed he was the most unworthy. Yet God chose to make himself seen and heard audibly and literally by Paul. And those he appeared to all heard him teach. They watched him eat. They saw and even touched the scars. Jesus didn't just rise. He rose and he stood in front of people. Jesus has risen, and these people can prove it. Friends, we can throw off the doubt, the disbelief. He wasn't just raised. Jesus is alive, and he lives forever. And that's what Paul is telling the church. Within the majority of congregations, we're going to find some diversity of commitment to faith and, and maturity and in, in, in faith. We're going to find that. Everyone doesn't necessarily believe the same doctrine. There are some individuals who believe no particular doctrine at all. Like I read this story about this woman who um, went to church her whole life, was in a Bible study, and they were talking about the resurrection, and she kind of was like, you know, this is ridiculous. It's just fooey. That didn't happen. It can't happen, blah, 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 mythical, ghosty, whatever. And people looked at her and said, oh, don't you, don't you go to this church? Like how do you go to the church and you don't believe it all? And she's like, oh, it's just a place that I go, and I like the people. We chuckle, but friends, we don't know where every single person is at that we're sitting next to this morning or who's watching online. And Paul took the same, because the same thing happened then. Different settings, but the same kind of thing happened. People just, some of them just struggled with this. And Paul took time to remind them, to teach them, to walk with them in it. The Barna group distinguishes between practicing Christians and churched adults who attend church regularly. A practicing Christian is someone who attends regularly and puts a high value on faith. While churched Christians attend as little as once every six months, although they may be members in good standing of a local congregation. It's based on, on, on a research study from 2020. That should really bother some of us. should really bother all of us, but it's a problem. Now, at the beginning of the message, I mentioned two songs, and I read you the lyrics for the, for the one. This is where I believe the second one comes in. Again, some of you are going to be shocked. Some of you won't know it. There are things as we travel this earth-shifting sands that transcend all the reason of man, but the things that matter the most in this world 
they can never be held in our hand. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I'll believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I will cling to the old rugged cross. I believe that the Christ who was slain on the cross has the power to change lives today. For he changed me completely. A new life is mine. This is why by the cross I will stay. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. Would you stand with us this morning? We're not here to force people to believe what we believe. It's not what this is about. We're here to walk people through to belief and then walk together home. Our goal is healthy believers from kids to adults who make up a healthy church that loves God and loves people. Our goal is to encourage one another and grow together in all love and maturity giving one another space to ask the hard questions and have the really hard conversations. Friends, we're on this journey together, and every once in a while, we're going to have to remind one another of what we know so we don't veer off the path in our doubt. It's okay if you have a couple questions. It's okay if you have a season where <sighs> you're just struggling and I've told people this before, there are going to be days that my faith feels really weak and I'm going to need to lean on yours. And there are days your faith is going to feel really thin and you can lean on mine. And that's what Paul was for this church. He says, hey, you're struggling. Let me remind you of what you know and let me stand with you as you come back to it. When we're following this example of Paul's we're going to be in unity. And that unity will be evident to God and it will be evident to the world around us. And, we will, and he will meet us and he will pour his spirit out on his church in fresh and powerful ways. And I believe we will see more miracles. I believe the supernatural will happen regularly and many will be added to our numbers daily like it happened in the early church in the book of Acts. Not because we want our church to be a big church, but because I love what Pastor Chris says, our DYD, because when we fill seats, we fill heaven. It's about the kingdom. Let it begin right here. Jesus, let it begin right now in each of us that we would lay aside our desire to prove you. You don't need us to do that. To the, to the desire to be right, you don't need us to do that either. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand firmly on what we know so that when our brothers and sisters are shaky, we can pull them close so they're standing on our faith and remind them gently, you know this Jesus. You know him, and it may seem really hard right now, and it may not make any sense, but you've walked with him, and he has changed your life, and he's not done with you. Father, let that be. Let us be known as a, as, as a, as a church, as the church who allows people to ask the hard questions. Your word says that, that iron sharpens iron, that that's what we're supposed to be. 
We're supposed to help one another, not make each other feel bad on the hard days, not make each other feel shame because we have a question or a doubt, but to gently remind and say, oh, friend, oh, brother, oh, sister, you know what Jesus has done for you. Let's do this together. Lord, I believe that when your church is unified, there is something powerful that happens. And I believe that type of unity is supernatural because it doesn't make sense in this world for people who don't look alike, talk alike, sound alike, even believe everything alike to have that kind of unity. But it is possible through your blood and through the kingdom, through the resurrection of Jesus that sets it all into place. This really stirred something in um, people in our congregation. I've, I've been told by quite a few. And because of that is why I'm sharing it here. Um, it's something I feel really passionate about. And I am not an expert on things like this. I just know that we as the capital C church have to do better. We have to. And if you are one of those people that you're um, just struggling through that and your faith is thin right now and you have questions or you need a safe place to, um, to, to go with those things, let me know. Um, I'm sure I can either help you or connect you somewhere that you can um, go if uh, you need that like physical spot Um, but just know you're not alone and though your faith may seem weak um, I'm sure there's people around you who would give you their shoulder to lean on as you seek to strengthen yours back up again like I said at the beginning the highest compliment you can give me is to share this And if you haven't subscribed, please do. And if you haven't reviewed, man, I would appreciate it. Until next time, bye.